T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. There's new leadership at the Lincoln Park Zoo, a cultural institution that's been in the heart of Chicago for more than 150 years. It's one of the oldest zoos in the country and among the few that remain free to the public. Dr. Megan Ross came here from Atlanta in 2000 and was elevated in September to president and CEO-elect. She follows Kevin Bell, who is retiring at the end of the year. We'll talk about her vision for the zoo over Zoom. Hello. I'm reporter Nancy Hardy, sitting in for Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Dr. Megan Ross was only the eighth director at the Lincoln Park Zoo and the first woman to hold the position. In her 21 years here, she has focused on research and led a team of 40 scientists to create a behavior monitoring animal welfare app called Zoo Monitor. It was used to help shape the new lion habitat that the zoo unveiled this month. Dr. Megan Ross, welcome to At Issue. Thank you. And please tell our listeners who may not be familiar with you a little bit about yourself. I am uh, originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and I got my bachelor's in biology and psychology at James Madison University. I then went on to get an advanced degree, a master's and a PhD in experimental psychology, which means that I like to study animal behavior. What I'm fascinated by is how are animals spending their time? How can we better understand how they're spending their time, which is an indicator of what they prefer, how they like to do things. And then really explore how we can better care for them as a result. So I started at the zoo in January, 2000. I started as the bird curator. I've had a variety of roles over the last 21 years. I think I've overseen every single department here in some capacity or another over my last 21 years, but I'm just thrilled at looking how this 153 year institution can kind of go into the future and really make a difference for wildlife. One of the great things about the zoo being outdoors and along the lakefront and free is that well, during COVID, while many other institutions were closed, you were allowed to be a little bit more open than others. How was the last year and a half? And has it really shaped or changed the vision that you have for the zoo, knowing that we might have to make some of those changes that we did during COVID forever? Well, we have the luxury of being an outdoor institution. Um, so that was really nice to be able to provide an oasis for people during COVID. We weren't actually that open. We had 25% capacity restrictions and we could only be outside for a long period of time during COVID due to some of the restrictions. So um, one of the things that I think came out of this whole last year and a half is how much people need nature in their lives. 
you know, connecting with nature really reduces your stress being outside. There's a lot of data that shows that this is something that is impactful for people. And we were just so proud to be able to provide those spaces, those safe spaces for people to come, take a deep breath, connect with nature, be it our amazing plants here or the amazing animals that fall in the park zoo home and be able to kind of recenter themselves. I think one of the things that we also have been really proud about is that we connect people with nature, not just here at the zoo, but also in communities in Chicago. And so from our perspective, COVID is really a learning opportunity on how we could do those things and make sure that people can kind of come back to themselves and get recentered and connect with nature to kind of be able to have the energy to go forward again. With the restrictions that you mentioned, were you finding that people were as much as they could turning to the zoo because so many other places weren't open and because we couldn't necessarily hang out with humans as much? Maybe there was this this connection that people were needing to find in nature. I think we saw a little bit of that. We definitely saw our um, members and our donors and people who just felt an affinity to the zoo kind of showing up more than we were anticipating. So, you know, our biggest challenge in COVID was making sure to figure out how to do a reservation for a free institution. We've never had tickets before. So that was a pretty big shift for us. And so it took us a little while to figure out how many reservations to open, when you could make your reservations to get people in. I think some of our biggest challenges were that people were saying more of them wanted to come than could come because of the restrictions and trying to figure out how to do that in a safe way. And after all of that, or amidst all of that, you were working on a massive overhaul of the Lion House. One of the people's favorite things to visit at the zoo, how did that shape or change the layout or the components of that? And if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit more about what the return of the lions to the zoo means. Yeah, so we undertook in fall of 2019, we decided to close our um, Clover Lion House in anticipation of the renovation. And we did just open the Pepper Family Wildlife Center to um, a new pride of lions. One of the, one of the things that we were doing while we were closed during construction during COVID was we were able to kind of expedite some of our construction. So that project went on schedule, which was amazing. And we were really happy about that. We didn't have too many shifts because we were really trying to make sure that we put in universal design into the layout of the building. Although we originally didn't have the automatic hand washers in the, in the washrooms, we did add those to make sure that there were a little bit less touch points, but the building was already intended to have automated doors for folks. Um, We added, thanks to our accessibility manager, we added some more panels for viewing Um, and some of the habitats that didn't have the glass viewing areas. Um, So we haven't had to have too many shifts, but having the lions back on grounds just feels like we're back to who we are. We've always had lions in the 21 years that I've been here, we've always had lions on the main mall of the zoo, kind of the main center heart of the center of the zoo. And hearing them once again, roaring and really kind of welcoming you when you come into the zoo has been pretty phenomenal. And I will say that the lions have been utilizing their spaces as we anticipated because we designed their whole habitat using science. So we collected data on what are the elements of an exhibit that the lions like, and we gave them those items so you can kind of see them using the space in a really fun and engaging way, I think. 
my colleague Lisa Fielding was out there for the unveiling and has some great video of one of the lionesses rolling around in the open area. What has the reaction been from the folks who have been able to come through yet to, to see this new and to see them return? It's been really fantastic. When we reopened, I wasn't anticipating just the reopening event itself. There were a lot of kids there with cat shirts. And I think I didn't, I know there's a lot of cat lovers out there, but there's even more than maybe I had anticipated. Um, We at the zoo are so excited about bringing the lions back, but I think there's a lot of Chicagoans who have really missed having any cats here at Lincoln Park Zoo. So it's just been phenomenal. The response has been so great this past weekend, which was the first weekend we were open with Pepper Family Wildlife Center. It was almost like a summer day here. We had so many people coming because they were so excited about seeing the new lions. And I think it really provides you some very unique opportunities to see lions up close because the barrier between people and the lions is an inch and a half of glass. And so you can really fully appreciate how large those paws are, how big those heads are, and how formidable these amazing animals are. And that was a very old building, right? Century old? It is um, from 1912. So that building is was historically landmarked in 2005. And there were lots of elements of the building that were historically landmarked. And so one of our biggest challenges was how do you create a state-of-the-art lion habitat? where the lions are going to be really thriving and flourishing and really enjoy all of their spaces with this historic building. And I think the architecture team and the design team and the animal care team all came together to create a vision of how you can kind of juxtapose this history building, this building that has had generations of Chicagoans in it. We get pictures of people who say, this is my grandma at the lion house. This is my mom at the lion house. This is me at the lion house. These are my kids at the lion house. You know, it's just uh, amazing how long it's been here and getting back to the core of what that building looked like in 1912. Some of the beautiful architectural details have really been uncovered and kind of reinvigorated. And I think that coming together with the lions has been spectacular to see. But not everybody made the return trip, right? There are a couple of animals, the tigers didn't return. Right. So when we were designing the new lion habitat, we kind of had to make a decision. What do we, what cat species did we want to have here at the zoo? And obviously it is the lion house, which played a role, but we really felt like we were best poised to house lions here, given our spaces. So when we were bringing back cats, we intentionally gave the lions a larger space so that they could potentially have cubs in the future. And we almost quadrupled the amount of space that the lions have out in an outdoor habitat when we did this renovation. Um, We did bring back our snow leopards. We brought back um, Canada lynx, or we brought Canada lynx. We previously had a different lynx species. And then we also have red pandas. So we reduced the number of species that we house here, but that was also intentional because we wanted to make sure that we were set up to be able to potentially breed the species as appropriate um, for the future generations of lions and snow leopards and red pandas that are going to be a part of the zoo aquarium. During the reduction in, in uh, during the COVID closures, did did any did you notice were the animals behaving differently without that interaction with the the humans that they that some of them may have become used to? We did. So, you know, the the animals here at Lincoln Park Zoo have been very used to seeing visitors. We normally have 3.7 million visitors, and that was far from the case during COVID. 
So when we closed for that three month period where we couldn't have any visitors, we started seeing some of the animals respond a little bit differently. And luckily we have scientists who collect data on the animals every single day. So we kind of know uh, how they were responding based on the differences. I'll give you two examples. One is our Japanese macaques. So Japanese macaques live in this large social group. They're called snow monkeys. They're really gregarious. They have multiple males, multiple females, kids in the group, and they have a lot of social drama, I would say. And the Japanese macaques did not change their behavior at all during COVID. So they were the same behaviorally when people weren't here as when people were here. They were very busy with their own social life. We did actually take a break. They do a cognitive program where they do touchscreen research. And we thought, oh, when we bring back the touchscreen research and they can interact with the computers, they're going to have changed. But nope, they didn't lose a beat. As soon as we started doing the, the cognitive program again and we had the computers up, they were ready to come in and do their little computer tasks. So the Japanese macaques seemed very unfazed by COVID. On the other hand, our African penguins were really very before COVID, very into their own social dynamics. Again, multiple males, multiple females, large colony, and they were really into their own social lives. And so they never really attended to the public. They were very much into their own, this is my niche, or I'm going to protect this area, or I'm going to, you know, cause trouble with this other pair over there. And during COVID, they didn't change their behavior that much that we could see. But then when visitors started coming back, what you saw was that the penguins, instead of looking into the colony, they started looking at the public. And so what we found is that they're more attentive to the public post COVID. And we're still evaluating some of their research um, for a year later to see if that's changing at all. But when the public wasn't there, they seemed to actually notice, maybe they were aware of them more than we thought. And then once they returned, they were like, oh, I'm gonna watch you. You're gonna watch me, I'm gonna watch you. And that's what was happening. So that's just two examples, but each species and even individuals within species have been very different in how they responded to public or no public. And what kinds of changes did you have to make to in the handling and the care of the animals knowing that COVID could be transmitted to some of them? So I have to say that the animal care staff here at the zoo and the buildings and grounds crew, they have not missed a minute. I mean, even through all of COVID, through the lockdown, they were coming in every day and caring for the animals here. So we have not changed how we are caring for the animals and how we care for the buildings that make sure that the animals have these great spaces. We already had personal protective equipment in place for all of our non-human primates that involved masks, face shields, eye goggles, shower caps, barrier clothing. This was already a part of our normal culture. We didn't have it for all taxa. So when COVID came in, we just spread it out and said, all right, let's expand to all mammals for a period of time and then we'll flex back as needed. We have not had any cases of any of the animals at Lincoln Park Zoo, I'm gonna knock on wood, of getting COVID at this point. And I think some of that has been in part to our amazing diligence of the animal care crew to use their PPE properly. And also a little bit of it is luck because obviously slip ups or accidents happen. Um, and so, you know, we've been really very focused on how do we keep the staff safe? How do we keep the animals safe? And how do we keep the public safe for this whole period of time? And, and I'm really just so proud of the amazing effort of our animal care team to kind of weather this storm. 
This is a good time to inform anyone who's just tuning in. You are listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Nancy Hardy, sitting in for Craig Delamore. We're talking with the new president and CEO-elect of the Lincoln Park Zoo, Dr. Megan Ross. Megan, I understand that you have four principles that you like to follow in leadership, care, community, conservation, and culture. What does that look like? Well, as we start thinking about where are the avenues Lincoln Park Zoo can really make an impact, the four C's, as I like to call them, as you said, care, conservation, community, and culture rose to the top. So I'll take them one by one, if you don't mind, and just kind of hash out each one. Um, Care is really core to who we are. We are a zoo. We house animals here. We care for them every single day. And we use science to really help us better care for the animals here at the zoo. So some of the things that we do is we collect data on them and we really try to figure out how are you spending your time? Where are you spending your time? So we can give you more of what you like and take away things that you're avoiding. We developed an app that actually allows us to do that called Zoo Monitor. And that app is um, now used in 52 countries around the world by hundreds of institutions to be able to figure out on a daily basis This is what the animals are doing. Should we change something? Should we not change something? And some of that can be creating new habitats like our new lion habitat. And some of it can be just daily shifts on how we're caring for the animals. In the future, what we're really excited about is we already have a cognitive program where we're asking animals questions and they voluntarily participate in that. We roll computer screens up to the mesh. They interface with the computer screens and they answer questions for us. And some of the questions are pretty basic. Do you like carrots or do you like grapes? You know, um, those types of questions really helps us understand what that individual likes and what they would like to do. And so in the future, what we're excited about doing is expanding on that, asking the animals a little bit more complicated questions, like where do you want to spend time? Who do you want to spend time with? What do you want to have to eat today? And as we start getting new technology and new ways that we can ask those questions, we can really have it be part science, part animal care, Um, curatorial keeper staff, and then part animals answering questions about how they're spending their day. Choice is something that is important for everyone to feel good, like well-being and welfare, and choice is the same for animals. They like to make their own choices about how they're spending their time in the day. An interactive digital Skinner box is what it sounds like. It's a little bit. So they are, are they physically, is it like an iPad? Are they actually? Yeah, we just take a computer screen. We have a touch screen monitor and we put it up to the mesh and then they touch the buttons and then they get a reward when they do a task properly. Like if they get it right, then they get a reward. Um, And if they don't get it right, they just don't get a reward. There's no punishment. It's just like, oh, you didn't get it right. So you don't get a reward. Um, And we've been doing this for, since 2004, we've had this cognitive program and we've really, We started out first trying to understand their mind, how they could do different behaviors. And right now we're starting to ask a lot of questions that are very much like in line with how we care for them. What do you like? Where do you want to spend your time? How are you doing things? And that's what we've been doing with chimps and gorillas and the cats. And now we're really trying to figure out, I don't know that it's going to be touchscreens in the future or even something very technologically savvy. It could be something as basic as If you touch the circle, you go in this yard. If you touch the square, you go in that yard. (laughs) You know, it could be something really basic that way, but it still is a way for us to kind of ask questions rather than just passively looking at how they spend their time. Some of the tasks that the girls and the chimpanzees can do, humans cannot. 
We have lost that ability because our language has taken over that part of our brain. And so there are things that they can do that we cannot do. And it's fascinating to me to really watch those types of skills happen where we put elements that are, we know, you know, the order of how things should be. Just imagine if someone threw like a stack of little, like small little plastic things, but there was an order they had to go in. Right. And so you had to remember the order. Yeah. But imagine if you could only see what they were for a half a second, and then you'd have to remember what was not only there, but the order. Those are the types of things that chimps and girls can do that humans can't do. Yeah. I imagine that there, there were components of that being done already, right? It was just maybe not in a, in a way that you could uh, so tangibly collect the, the data. So there are elements of that already happening. I mean, Zoom Monitor has been around for almost a decade at this point, but what we're hoping to do is really build upon that. So build upon Zoom Monitor and then build upon this cognitive program. Right now, our cognitive program involves Japanese macaques, gorillas and chimpanzees, but what if we asked all of the animals? And it's not going to be touch screens for every animal because lots of animals are not gonna be interested in interfacing with a touch screen. But what are the new technologies that are out there that will help us be able to ask kind of robust questions and the animals can actually answer them for us? That is fascinating. That makes perfect sense as we all move to a more digital format that why wouldn't the animals be interacting more with computers as well? What is the, uh, the community component of your four C's? Well, our tagline is for wildlife for all. And obviously being a free institution, we consider ourselves to be a very important part of the culture up here in Chicago. So what we've been doing is obviously we are a free privately run institution, which is a little bit unique. We've been really taking some of our programs. Our mission is to connect people with nature and not everyone is gonna be able to come here to Chicago, uh, to Lincoln Park, I guess, to be able to experience nature here at the zoo. So what we've been trying to do is create some opportunities to connect people with nature in different communities here in Chicago. So we have a a whole robust team of community um, engagement staff that have been working in different communities for the last several years. We're specifically working in Little Village and in North Lawndale. And our work is not bringing something from the zoo to those communities. What we've been really actively working on is how do we co-create new programs for communities that we have overlap with. So really sitting and being in community for a long period of time, at least a year, and hearing what the community is looking for, what are different community leaders doing, what are some opportunities where there might be some overlap, and then creating new programs out of that partnership. So we have several different ways um, that that's been coming to fruition. So we have a partnership with Open Center for the Arts, where kids have been learning about animals, they've been creating drawings, those drawings become three-dimensional sculptures, and those three-dimensional sculptures are going to go back to this wild Marshall Square effort in um, Little Village. Um, We also just recently opened a new miniature golf course with several partners in a project called Douglas 18. There were many partners that worked on that program, Um, but that that program was really about teams creating a brand new um, facelift for a dilapidated old miniature golf course. And the golf course themes were around migratory birds. So migratory birds, Douglas Park is a great spot for doing my, for spotting migratory birds. And this was a way to really connect into Douglas Park about the migratory birds with teams from that community. 
Um, we also have a whole program called the Urban Wildlife Institute. And the Urban Wildlife Institute is faced with how do we understand what animals are doing in urban landscapes? We started here in Chicago. How are animals navigating Chicago land? And now we have 37 cities around North America and one in Europe um, that are collecting data the same way. And this allows us to better understand how you can create cities of the future that are greener. And we're really excited about expanding that program and not just having it be scientists and city planners and architects that are a part of it, but also looking at how we can have teams or the next generation of people who are going to be living in cities figuring out how we can coexist with wildlife um, to make sure that we have natural spaces for both people and animals to thrive. So those are some of the community efforts that we're gonna be expanding upon. Um, and then in conservation, we have uh, some very robust programs that have been ongoing for a while and we have some newer ones. So one of the programs we've had for a long time is we work in the Kululogo Triangle, which is in the Republic of Congo in West Africa. This is one of those untouched parts of the world, you can go and there's gorillas and chimpanzees in the same tree. It's just a magnificent space, but it's very remote and very hard to get to. Um, we've had scientists there for over 20 years and they've been trying to figure out how can wildlife coexist with, uh, with wood harvesting that's actually happening there. So loggers are coming in and they're harvesting wood and that's um, going to happen. And so the scientists have been working with the loggers and the loggers have been working with the scientists to make decisions on understanding the impact of what they're doing and also minimizing their impact on species that are gonna be at risk. And it's been a really amazing partnership where you see the loggers call the scientists to say, we need to do some work in these different transect lines, which one's gonna have the least effect on wildlife. And as a result, they've been creating guidelines on how to harvest wood around these. We also do work in Tanzania where we are partnering with different people um, as well as wildlife scientists. So we have scientists that are part of Lincoln Park Zoo staff who are collecting data on how mammals are migrating across the landscape of Tanzania. And we have um, many individuals that we partner with there to create these spaces where we can make sure that cultures are being retained. So Maasai are pastoralists and they need spaces where they can have their, their cows and their goats um, and making sure that those spaces are protected for the Maasai and it also works well for migratory mammals to be able to use those spaces for their roots because Maasai naturally live amongst wild animals that are using utilizing these same spaces. And then lastly, we've been really focused in on how can we minimize the effects of wildlife trafficking because wildlife trafficking is a big driver of extinction at this time. And so we have staff members that are very focused on what can we do to reduce the impact um, and reduce illegal wildlife trafficking of uh, especially songbirds out of Southeast Asia, because some of those species of birds are gonna go extinct unless something is done that is going to be um, changing the trajectory of their populations. And so what we do is we look at a holistic way to approach it, including community work, including looking at law enforcement and um, how can captive populations participate and how can wild uh, research participate and reintroductions and all of those things come together and looking at the same problem from different angles in order to affect change. So those are three of the areas that we're really excited about and um, enthusiastic about how it's going to actually conserve species in the, in the future. And then lastly, culture. 
we want to make sure that when we say we are for wildlife for all, that we appear to be for wildlife for all. So it's making sure that we are accessible to all here at Lincoln Park Zoo and seen as a space where people can come and celebrate and enjoy connecting with nature. And so we're really looking at how do you traverse the, the, the campus of the zoo and what are ways that people feel a disconnect and really trying to intentionally change some of the barriers that we might not have realized were there and reduce those that we can really embrace and be a part of the for wildlife for all that we would like to be here in Chicago land. Excellent. Sounds like a lot of interesting things going on at the zoo. That about does it for our time. So I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Megan Ross, new president and CEO-elect of the Lincoln Park Zoo, for talking with us. Listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website, wbbmnewsradio.com. There's a link there on the homepage. You can also find it along with our podcasts on odyssey.com. Craig Delamore will be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and we both hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Nancy Hardy, News Radio 1059, WBBM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 